and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. Now, this morning we are in Daniel 6. We are um, wrapping up this brief series where we, uh, I have certainly been challenged, and I hope you have, to, to view our circumstances and other people that we know through God's perspective. And... Um, all of us, well, I wouldn't say that. Some of us like to uh, solve problems uh, uh, that, that show up and, and come up with inventive solutions, particularly those who are mechanically minded. Now, that would not be me. Uh, in, in our family, Michelle is the, is the mechanically minded one. And in fact, she's got the reputation of being the MacGyver of our family. And we were talking about all the different ways she's just fixed stuff uh, out of nothing. And one, one example she remembered was when we went on a hike uh, up Carson Pass and, and she had the idea that, uh, okay, we'll bring along one of those uh, white gas stoves and make a hot lunch up there. That would be fun. Well, the stove didn't work, and, but she was able to fix it literally with bubble gum. Uh, not scotch tape, but uh, uh, you'll have to ask her how she did it. But Dan Lynn is another guy I know like that, who can just fix anything with anything. Um, but each of us face situations in our lives that we can't fix that there's no way out. There's no way out but to trust God. And that's what this passage is about. Now, um, being challenged to trust God alone and not trying to MacGyver our way out of the situation we face, it, it can be a challenge for us. But that's what we are going to be um, encouraged to do this morning. Now, uh, in this brief series, each time we've, uh, we've looked at a person that shows, okay, it's important to view people and circumstances with God's eyes from, from a different point of view. Now, Jonah was challenged to view the Assyrians as people God loved. And he wanted nothing to do with them. And so God put him in a circumstance where he had no other option but to trust God when he was in that fish. He literally had no other option but to trust God. Now, it took him a while to get God's heart for the Assyrians. Uh, he's probably about as stubborn as we are, right? Um, then last week, we looked at Daniel and his three friends. They were deported from Israel as teenagers. They could have been bitter angry young men, but instead they trusted God and they realized through his perspective that they were right where he wanted them. And so they grew. They grew and they, uh, they prospered and they served these new people in this strange land where they were. And uh, 
all of a sudden, they, you know, mostly they encountered success, but then they ran into people who hated them just because they knew and served God. And when that hatred uh, reached its climax in a, a execution attempt, they trusted God no matter what. They were delivered, but they said they were going to trust him whether they were delivered or not. And Daniel in the lion's den is probably one of the best known passages in the Bible. So allow that familiarity to ask yourself, how does God want to take what he did 2,600 years ago and apply it to my life today? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, um, we thank you for your, not just your involvement, your, for being our life, for directing us, for um, never reaching a time where our life isn't valuable in your sight. And Lord, as, as we face people and situations that we would rather not, we ask that we would do so with the courage, the faith, the strength from you that Daniel demonstrates. And so uh, just work, do your work in our lives today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, um, a, a timeline helps us kind of keep these events straight. There's both a timeline and maps uh, in, your, in your bulletin. Um, in 605 BC is when Daniel uh, and his friends were deported. Now, I like to emphasize the historical aspect of these things because they are events that really happened. They really happened to real people and they trusted God just as we can. And that's the purpose of, of this being recorded and us finding out about it, is that we trust God in the same way that they did. Now, about 10 years after uh, 605 or around 595 is when the fiery furnace event occurred. And Daniel served in the king's court through six different Babylonian kings. Nebuchadnezzar was the first, Belshazzar was the last, and, and the briefest uh, monarchy was only around for a few months before Cyrus, the Persian, swept through and conquered Babylon. Now, uh, Cyrus the Great had been busy um, conquering other nations in the 20 years before 539 BC. And, and Babylon was his final prize. And so uh, the Medo-Persian Empire at this point stretched from Egypt all the way to the border of India and through modern Turkey. It was a lot of real estate. And Cyrus was over all of it, but I believe he had another king govern in his place in Babylon, in this new addition to his, uh, uh, to his empire. Now, there's a lot of guesses about who Darius is in Daniel 6. One thing is clear is it's not the Persian named Darius the Great because he was only 11 years old at this time and he ruled 18 years later. 
Um, there's two ways, there's two viewpoints in either one. Uh, we just don't know which it was. Many feel that Darius was another name for Cyrus himself because Darius is a term that means Lord. And so it could be referring to Cyrus. I don't think that's the case because this guy acts different than, than Cyrus would have. He's, he's a little more, uh, I don't know, mild-mannered, easily played, etc. And um, I think he was a man named Cyaxares II. He was a relative of Cyrus, an older relative, and he probably just installed him as kind of the governor of this area in his place. And it says in Daniel 5.31 that he became a ruler over Babylon at age 62, and he died two years later. And again, Cyrus was over all of it. Now, since Daniel was 15 years old when he was deported, in 605, by 539, he would have been 81 years old. Like I said in the first service, that's Jim Winan's age, right? Um, now, <laughs> Daniel is an example of how to be spiritually active and flourishing even in our most senior of years, okay? And Darius is now the seventh king. Uh, under whom uh, Daniel has served, and you'd think he'd be uh, getting a lot of respect. Well, let's take a look at Daniel chapter 6, the first five verses. Darius decided to appoint 120 satraps over the kingdom, stationed throughout the realm, and over them three administrators, including Daniel. <clears throat> These satraps would be accountable to them so that the king would not be defrauded. Daniel distinguished himself above the administrators and satraps because he had an extraordinary spirit so that the king planned to send, set him over the whole realm. The administrators and satraps, therefore, kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom. But they could find no charge or corruption, for he was trustworthy, and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then these men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. Now, Cyrus literally took over uh, Babylon overnight and Darius here, it's either, it's either Cy Cyrus or this fella, uh, Cyaxares, uh, he began to reorganize the government in his administration. And the first thing he did was appoint these satraps. They were kind of like mayors of different regions in Babylon. And there were 120 of them, and there were three administrators uh, over these 120 guys, 40 apiece. And of course, the satraps' main uh, task was to collect taxes. Surprise, right? That's the main function of government. And, um, but Daniel distinguished himself uh, from the other two administrators because he, he was a man of, of incredible integrity. And he followed the God of the living God, the God of Israel. And so his character reflected who he was. And that affected everything he did. And the king noticed that, and pretty soon he wanted to make him prime minister. And De uh, 
Daniel's character is boiled down to one phrase in verse 3. He had an extraordinary spirit. And that's what we want to have as well. Uh, We want, because we have the extraordinary Holy Spirit living in each one of us. And uh, he's always available to guide and empower us. And so we want to stand out from others in the very best of ways. Uh, Peter put it that we are peculiar people. We might revise that and say, we want to be unique people who stand out because of the life of Jesus in us. That should be our objective. Now, Darius's plans to make Daniel prime minister did not sit well with the other two administrators who were corrupt. And they find, found themselves hating Daniel. In fact, they wanted to get rid of him. But they, they looked for dirt. They went back through all his, you know, past, tried to find something to accuse him of. After 65 years of public service, they could find nothing. Can you imagine that? Who has a reputation like that today? That's what we want to aim for, is with God's help, we want to have that kind of integrity that Daniel exemplifies. And there is no reason at all for this hatred that Daniel was experiencing. None at all, except, like we looked at last week, that old uh, enmity between darkness and light, good and evil, Satan and God. Since these administrators had aligned themselves with darkness, they found themselves, maybe without even being aware of it, hating the light, hating Daniel, who was aligned with the living God. Now, we all lived in spiritual darkness at one time, all of us. We might remember that. Maybe you came to Christ as a child and that time was brief. Maybe like me, it was 21 and you remember it very, very clearly. God delivered us out of that darkness into his light. And if we had time, and I think that's part of what's going to happen in heaven, is we will get to hear how God did that with each one of us. And it's really important. If we are looking at other people from God's perspective, we will see they are living where we once lived, in darkness. And that helps God build in us a heart of compassion even for people we might not really like. Now, these guys uh, were not very likable, as we see in verse 6 through 9. So the administrators and satraps went together to the king and said to him, May King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, satraps, advisors, and governors, have agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that, For 30 days, anyone who petitions any god or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. Therefore, your majesty, establish the edict and sign the document so that, as a law of the Medes and Persians, it is irrevocable and cannot be changed. So King Darius signed the document. Now, let's be honest. In your days in school, and some of you are in school now, 
And some of you maybe have been out for a few years, and some of you may have been out for what feels like 100 years, right? When you were in school, did you ever give a teacher a hard time? Especially, Brian, no. <laughs> the nose is growing. Uh, <laughs> especially the new ones or the substitutes, right? Did you, did you look for their weakness and try to exploit it? And again, the stories we could tell, but we don't have time. Uh, that, I think, is what's going on here, is that these administrators and the, the lap dogs that they have, these 120 satraps, um, are trying to manipulate their new king to set a trap from which there would be no escape for Daniel. And so they enter the, the king's presence and they're all respectful and all that. And then the very first thing they do is present a lie to him in verse seven. All the administrators of the kingdom back this proposal all except Daniel, who doesn't even know about it, right? And then they have just this weird request about throw into the lion's den anyone who prays to anyone except you, king. Now, Darius should have gone, what are you talking about? This is just weird. And, and he should have shut it down right then. But instead, he fell for the flattery. He didn't question their motive. You know, huh, here are 122 of my servants, and they want uh, to worship me. Uh, yeah, that's fine. I'll, I'll sign on to that. Now, Darius, or, or um, yeah, Darius was not the same kind of monarch as Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, his word was law. Here, this, this king is functioning under the laws of the Medes and the Persians, which are irrevocable. Now, he can command all right, but once he does, there's no repealing any laws. They are irrevocable. And so that's what the administrators were counting on. Verses 10 through 18. When Daniel heard that the document had been signed, he went into his house. The windows in its upper room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked about his edict. Um, didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any man who petitions any God or man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, as a law of the Medes and the Persians, the order stands and is irrevocable. Then they replied to the king, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles has ignored you, the king, and the edict you signed, for he prays three times a day. As soon as the king heard this, he was very displeased. He set his mind on rescuing Daniel and made every effort until sundown to deliver him. Then these men went to the king and said, you as king know it's a law of the Medes and the Persians that no edict or ordinance the king establishes can be changed. So the king gave the order and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. A stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet rings of his nobles so that nothing in regard to Daniel 
could be changed. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and he could not sleep. Now, word spread quickly about this new decree, and everybody changed their habits because nobody wanted to be thrown in the lion's den. Now, these lions had to be imported to, uh, to Babylon from either Africa or India. And they provided a wonderful way for a king to terrorize his subjects and get rid of some that he, he would like to get rid of. More about the lions in just a bit. Now, when Daniel heard that the document had been signed, there's a lot of things that he could have done that he didn't. Right? He could have panicked. He could have gone and begged the king. He could have sought revenge against these other administrators. He could have uh, run away in fear. What methods are we tempted to use other than trusting God when we're faced with an impossible situation from which there is no other way out? He did none of those things. Instead, he did what he always did. Now, as a man who's walked with God for decades, Daniel obviously had habits in his life that were part of his walk with God. And prayer was one of them. And he demonstrated that consistency, which was not going to be changed by threats or intimidation. So we can be experienced inspired not only by Daniel's courage, but by his prayer life too. Now in verses 10 and 11, it says that Daniel prayed. He gave thanks to God. He petitioned and implored God as well. Let's take, uh, let's take a moment to just look at each one of those. He prayed. That means he spoke to God. He talked to him. And in any relationship, talking to that person is important for the relationship to develop. It's the same in our relationship to God. He took the time to talk to God. He gave thanks. He realized who God is, and he thanked God for just his person and his blessings that he received. He petitioned. He made specific requests. I mean, the guy was 80 years old and, and almost prime minister. He had to ask God for strength to do what he needed to do. He may even have prayed for these people that were harassing him. And he implored, that is, he expressed his heart toward God. And again, expressing, expressing our emotion to someone with whom we have a relationship is important. Saying, I'm, you know, I'm so thankful for this. I'm upset. I'm angry. Whatever that emotion is, God wants us to express our heart to him. That's part of our relationship with God. Now, in verse 11, according to this prearranged plan, 122 people gathered inauspiciously outside of Daniel's window, right? And, and just as they had hoped, there he is. They could see right into his uh, upper room, and there he is praying, yes, He's now guilty of something, and it's a capital offense, thanks to our plan. Now, the enemy of our souls is not all-knowing or all-powerful, but he is intelligent, and he does set up 
temptations, custom designed for us to fall. However, God, who is all-knowing and is all-powerful, can take that same situation that was meant for us to fall, and it can become a test of faith where we can grow. Same situation, temptation to fall, test of faith to grow. Daniel didn't yield to compromise in order to save his life. And this time of prayer that he was used to doing actually prepared him for the biggest trial of his life. Now, these 122 men, again, very inconspicuously, they took off and ended up uh, in the throne room and they uh, asked a rhetorical question about the order that the king had just written. Now, Darius had to either begin, he had to be smelling a rat or wondering what on earth is going on. Then in verse 13, they exposed their motive. Um, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles has ignored you. And they used the same term that was used 60 years earlier to accuse Daniel's friends before Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, they've ignored your command to bow down to this statue. He's ignored the command to pray to no one but you. Daniel now receives the same hatred his friends have. And instantly, in verse 14, Darius knew he'd been played by these guys. And he, was, he had to be furious. He had to be furious at the wickedness of these guys, at, at the clever trap, and how he had, without even knowing it, signed Daniel's death warrant. And, and he started to look for any loophole he could find, any way out to save Daniel's life, because he knew he was innocent. And... He couldn't find one because, again, he is serving under the law of the Medes and Persians, which could not be revoked. And in verse 15, the same guys show up again. I mean, the king had to be really irritated by now and said, um, you've got you've to execute this now. And Darius had to be furious, but there was no way out. And only God could save Daniel now. And that's what Darius tells Daniel. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. Sometimes God allows injustice to proceed. And all of us have been made in God's image, which means that we have the ability to make decisions for good or evil that will impact our lives and the lives of others. And those impacts, especially the evil ones, are awful. But they do not, none of them, impact God's ability to act. Only God can deliver us from situations like the one in which Daniel found himself. And I've been thinking of believers in dangerous situations throughout the world, like believers in Ukraine and believers in North Korea. Do you realize that in 1900, Pyongyang was known as the Jerusalem of the East because of all the churches there. Now those believers are underground or they're in heaven because of the intense persecution that they have faced. Now, the lion's den was a dungeon-like room with an opening uh, in the floor that either led to a ramp that went down or it was just a pit into which 
people were thrown. And uh, lions are magnificent predators. Uh, they are top of the food chain in Africa. Uh, females, female lions can grow to 275 pounds, and then the males grow to 570, or twice their size. Now, mountain lions, we're familiar with how ferocious a predator they are, and a large male is about 175 pounds. So that means an African lion is three times their size. Pretty formidable. And here's this 80-year-old Daniel thrown into the den of lions. And the opening was closed with a stone and sealed with the king's own signet ring. That means they probably put ropes or a chain or something over it, and he dripped wax over that and, and put his seal in and other administrators did the same thing so that it was a verification that the, the sentence had been carried out. Reminds us of Jesus. When he was buried, Pilate had his grave sealed with a stone and the seal of Rome was placed on that to verify that the sentence of the law had been carried out on this innocent person who had done nothing wrong. And then Darius, he was upset. He fasted, which was very unusual for kings to do. Uh, no entertainment that night, no video games. He, he couldn't sleep. Now, I don't know whether he prayed <laughs> as Daniel had done. If he didn't, he didn't pray to himself. He broke his own law. <laughs> Verse 19. At the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. When he reached the den, he cried out in anguish to Daniel. Daniel, servant of the living God, the king said, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke with the king. May the king live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. They haven't hurt me, for I was found innocent before him. Also, I have not committed a crime against you, my king. The king was overjoyed and gave orders to take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken out of the den uninjured, for he trusted in his God. The king then gave the command, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the lion's den. They, their children, and their wives. They had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones. Now, the king hadn't slept, so he ran to find out what had happened. He couldn't, he couldn't wait until it was, you know, dawn, the sentence is over, and, and you could just hear him cry out and wait for an answer, and that silence must have lasted what seemed like forever. But then he hears Daniel's voice, and he, Daniel says, may the king live forever. That's kind of like saying, God save the king today. And Daniel says, a miracle has occurred. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouths. Now, that could have been a single angel because remember, in King Hezekiah's day, he prayed and one angel wiped out 186,000 Assyrian soldiers. Angels are powerful beings. It could have been Jesus himself. 
who remained with Daniel through his night in the lion's den. Now, uh, Ben Hubbard uh, painted the, uh, uh, the picture behind us. I think it captures well Daniel's experience. And if you haven't faced a lion's den of your own, you will. That means a situation where danger isn't probable or theoretical, it's there. It's there, right in front of your face. There's a lot of situations that could be like lion's dens for each of us. One might be illness, either yours or that of a loved one, or just adjusting to the death of a loved one. Mental illness can certainly be a lion's den where that person is trapped with those raging thoughts and impulses with no way of escape. Perhaps it's coming face to face with real danger, a threat from outside. Maybe that threat is from within. Maybe it's coming face to face with your own addiction or the impulses of our flesh that are right there ready to consume us. Whatever it is, I think we find that God seldom delivers us from the experience with the lions. Rather, he is with us through it. He's with us as we go through it. We're delivered as we see that Jesus is greater than whatever it is that we fear the most. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. That's what Daniel experienced. And uh, in verse 23, Darius is amazed that uh, Daniel had been delivered and he started to give a whole different set of orders than the ones that uh, he had been tricked into giving. First, Daniel was raised up out of the lion's den as if from the dead. Another picture in the Old Testament of what Jesus did for us. And this 80-year-old was checked very carefully for any injuries, and there were none because he had trusted in God. And now Darius gave a, another command which could not be revoked against Daniel's accusers. And certainly it, that was the other two administrators because they had to be the instigators, the other uh, Satraps, they were their puppy dogs and just kind of followed along. But the administrators were clearly the instigators of this thing. And they wanted Daniel to be destroyed, to be torn apart by these lions. And their evil intent was now visited upon themselves. And God's protection on Daniel is now seen clearly in its absence as these two administrators and their families and children were all thrown in the lion's den and killed almost instantly. It's cruel to, to hear of, of this punishment being inflicted on their innocent family, but cruelty was just the way justice was done back then. And the, the satraps, if they were allowed to live, they probably had a way different attitude the next time they came to the office. Uh, Darius sure did, uh, as, as, he, as we find out in the last verses of the chapter. 
Then King Darius wrote to those of every people, nation, and language who live in all the earth, may your prosperity abound. I issue a decree that in all my royal dominion, people must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth, for he has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. Now, Darius sent a letter to all the people, certainly in what used to be Babylon, maybe to the whole empire. And he said, people must tremble before the God of Daniel. Again, this isn't that do this or else command that Nebuchadnezzar made after the fiery furnace, but it, instead he's saying, you need, to, you need to know who this God is. He is the living God because only the living God could deliver like this. And in, in the next phrases, it's obvious that Daniel had spoken with Darius about who God is and what he'd done in the Old Testament that he had available at that time. Uh, he told him about uh, that the Messiah who would come and rule and reign over the earth, his kingdom will have no end. And he told him about the many miracles that God had done up to this time. And of course, he had heard about Daniel's interpretation of Nebuchadnezzar's dream and the deliverance of the three friends. And now he'd seen for himself. Daniel's deliverance from the lions. And so here is Daniel, a man in his 80s, enjoyed a fruitful life and ministry in his most senior of years. One thing he did was he wrote the rest of the book, which is certainly worth uh, reading. And this occurred during the reign of Darius and of Cyrus the Persian. Now that either means they're the same guy or that Darius is this guy, Cyaxares, who lived for two years and then Cyrus the Great remained king until 530 BC. Now, in this series, we have seen several uh, ways of viewing our circumstances and other people through God's eyes, from his perspective. One is when we face trials or temptations, we need to ask God, let me see this through your eyes. Where is this a test of faith so that I can grow? It isn't inevitable that I have to yield to this temptation. Show me how I can trust in you rather than just do the same old, same old. Now, we also see that God can change our hearts toward other people that we may not particularly like. Think of somebody or group of people that you don't like. They may be your next friends <laughs> because that stretching process is something that is meant to take place throughout our lives. And God wants to do that in, in your life and mine. And even if we experience hostility, we don't experience much of that in our country, but even if we do, we want to serve other people with God's joy, to show them the life of Jesus, no matter what the response to us. Now, that doesn't mean we compromise 
Okay, we don't compromise on this truth, but we respond with God's love and kindness regardless of how the truth is received. And we trust God whether things work out the way we want them to or not. We, you read on your own Hebrews eleven thirty-two through 40, and at the beginning of that passage, there's all these people, including Daniel and his three friends, who trusted God and, and God answered. And we might go, oh yeah, that's the way it always works. Then you read the rest of it. And that's not the way it works all the time. That's not the way it works. But we can trust God even if he doesn't answer the way we want him to because he is God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, uh, for your perspective, which is way, way different than our own. Uh, thank you for your constant growth and change in our lives. Might we grow and show your love to those who desperately need to know you um, as Daniel and his friends and Jonah did. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.